So I was thinking this week, suppose um, a young man came to me last Sunday in the coffee time after the, the sermon and said, said this, I'm a Christian, I can relate to everything that I've learned from Exodus so far. When God turned up in Exodus chapters 2 and 3, I could see how that anticipated Jesus finally turning up, finally arriving, revealing God to us in his life. When God began to judge Israel and rescued his people through, through a deliverance that involved a sacrificial lambs at the Passover, I could see how that anticipated Jesus who died on the cross for my sins so that I could be rescued from the judgment of God and could be assured of eternal life. When they were delivered out into uh, the, the wilderness and uh, uh, started to wander around, apparently aimlessly, well, I could perhaps be persuaded that God had a plan, even if they couldn't see it, and I can't see it for my life. That God was looking after me. That just as the Israelites saw the Red Sea part and they walked through, so God will keep me through the waters of death into his new creation. I can believe that, but frankly I'm scared. I'm scared that my faith is not strong enough to keep me going through what you have said will be a difficult and confusing life, like as not, one way or another. An older woman overhears and uh, nods. Yes, she says, it is a hard path. But in the words of the old hymn, the bird may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Yes, says the young man, that's all very well. But I fear the bitterness. What should I do? What do I say to that man, that young man? Well, it occurred to me one one thing that I should say to him is read on. After the uh, wonderful hymn of Exodus chapter 15 comes these three chapters, 16, 17 and 18. And in these three chapters in Exodus, there is a record of the daily tough, sometimes demoralising trials that the Israelites had as they trudged slowly towards the promised land. Surely these chapters were written to people like that young man. Written to help us as we walk along that long and winding way. And straight away in um, uh, uh, chapter 16 and then again in, in, in chapter 17, we notice as well, just as that young man was saying, that the Israelites' faith was hardly strong and indomitable. Straight away, it seems, after they've seen the most incredible things from God, they are grumbling. Verse 2 of chapter 16, In the desert the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we died by the Lord's hand. There we sat round pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. 
Notice, interestingly, they're grumbling not directly against God, they're they're grumbling against Moses and Aaron. That's nearly always the way that it goes. People instinctively sense grumbling directly against God is, is generally a bad idea. But the leaders, they can cop it. Notice though what uh, Moses says very clearly, twice, but the second time in verse 8. Who are we, he says, you're not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Notice how forgetful God's people are as well. Ridiculously forgetful. Look, at, did you notice what they said? In Egypt they said, we sat around, hardly... They were making bricks without straw, do you remember? Labouring as slaves. They say, we had pots of meat. I very much doubt it. Generally, slaves are are fed just enough to keep them alive, to keep them working the, the, the next day. The masters may have pots of meat. I don't think they did. If only we had died, they say. How ridiculous. And note that that, that that grumbling against leaders, but actually against God, that short-sighted blindness is ultimately a fundamental lack of confidence in God. They act as if um, Moses is leading them, not God. You have brought us out, they say again in verse 3. And they fundamentally misconstrue the purpose of what's going on to starve this entire assembly to death. That is rubbish. They know that. We know that. But, but people, even God's people, are incredibly forgetful and incredibly foolish sometimes. How does God respond? with even more incredible grace. He will provide manna, bread, and quail, meat. He he will supply their need despite their grumbling. Not forever, but he is incredibly patient. He does, though, want them to grow. And chapters 16 to 18 um, provide us with some lessons along the way, along this road. Lessons that we need to take seriously as we walk our path as believers. And you could summarise those lessons as three injunctions that I want to put to you. Three single word imperatives. Feed, pray, think. Okay, this gracious God then, dealing with Israelites just like us, with weak and and, uh, um, vulnerable faith, first of all, um, teaches us a lesson about nutrition. 
He supplies the needs of the Israelites. Verse 4 of chapter 16, the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven from you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. It is a bounteous miracle. He will rain this down, but he will give them something to do also as a test, as, as something to help them to grow. He doesn't want you to stay as sort of babes just receiving his grace. Uh, He wants you to grow through his gracious action. He will provide sufficient supply, notice, for each day. Verse 13 of chapter 16. That evening quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they, uh, they said to each other, what is it? For they didn't know what it was. Mysteriously provided, this is. They say, what is it? The Hebrew word for what is it is manah. The name they gave to the bread is what is it? Because they didn't know what it was. But here it was, and it provided for their needs. And then it seems by chapter 17 they've forgotten again. And so God provides for their needs again in chapter 17, verses 1 to 7. Look at 17, verses 5 and 6, for instance. The Lord answered Moses, go out in front of the people, this time they want water, they need water. Go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go, and I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. Here is God then, again and again, providing for the needs of his grumbling, weak-faithed people. Interestingly, the rest of the Bible uses those two stories, the story of the provision of manna and the story of the provision of water, in a a more fundamentally spiritual way. Uh, Already it's happening in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, we read, God humbled you, causing you to hunger and feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you... That man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. This is a physical provision back then, but to teach a more fundamental lesson. That God's word is what sustains us. Don't live by bread alone. We live more fundamentally on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And Jesus, you may remember, takes that up in uh, his uh, 40 days in the wilderness when the devil tempts him to produce bread. And he says, no, 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 my ministry is not about producing bread for the world. I remember Deuteronomy. Man does not live by bread alone, 
but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. My ministry is to provide the word of God in a new and powerful way to the world. Or this story of of the provision of water again gets taken up um, in the New Testament and, 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 and used in a spiritual way. So in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 4, um, the Apostle Paul is comparing the lives of Christians with the lives of the Israelites and saying that there are real parallels there. And look at how he, de- how he draws out the parallel here. They drank, verse 4, from the spiritual rock. That rock was Christ. In other words, this provision of, of, of fresh, refreshing water by a miracle from a rock is a, is, a, is, a, is a pictorial anticipation of Christ who provides refreshing, um, uh, thirst-satisfying water by his presence for our souls. Jesus himself. Um, uh, in John chapter 7 uses this sort of uh, a connection Jesus stood, John tells us and said in a loud voice let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink whoever believes in me as the scripture has said li- rivers of living water will flow from within him so he's saying, he's saying something even more there he's saying come to me and you will, you will receive quenching for the thirst of your souls, but you will be transformed in such a way that, like me, water goes out from you and you can quench the, 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 the deep needs of other people too. That's, that's how the Bible uses these two stories of manna and water. The Bible is saying, you with a weak faith feed Feed on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Feed on your Bible. I was talking in, in the summer, wasn't I, when we were celebrating um, the anniversary of the King James Version. I was talking about research that has shown that people who read their Bibles most days, notice here it's every day that they needed the manna, but let's tone it down. Most days have really different quality to their spiritual life from people who don't read the Bible most days. As an empirical fact, demonstrated in numerous bits of research, it makes a difference if you read your Bible. Feed on the word of God. Learn the promises of God and learn to apply those promises to your situation. Learn to read your Bible and turn it into prayer. Don't just read it as a, as a bit of information. Yeah? Learn to glean from, from, from the word of God important things. What does it say about God? 
Let me reflect on that. Let me pray on that. Let me, let me pray that back to God. If you're like me, you, you, you know, you have trouble concentrating, write it down. This is what I've learned from the word of God today. This is what you are like God. I, I write a little letter to God every day. Just try and stop my mind wandering. I am amazed, frankly, at the end of a, a, a period, how much I have prayed. Because I can't remember it by the end of my prayer time, but it's written down there. Learn disciplines of feeding on the word of God. Not just going to it for information, but going to it for nourishment. If you do not, you will starve in the desert. The Israelites were not only provided with manna and quail, they had to go out and gather it every single day. This was my test for them, says God. Would you pass that test? Because the Bible is absolutely clear. Many Israelites fell in the desert. Read your Bibles. Your life depends upon it. I sympathise with that young man, that, that imaginary young man who says he fears for the future. I tell you, those of us who've lived for a few decades would say, Amen. There will be things that will come your way that you can't imagine right now and they will test your faith and they will stretch you and they will bring you to the, to the end of your tether. And if you are not someone who has learned to be nourished by the word of God... Well, I fear for you too. And learn to find that, 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 that wonderful refreshment that uh, the Bible talks about from, from knowing Christ. It is like, 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 like bathing in a, in, a, in a fresh stream. It is like drinking from a fountain. Learn to see and feel the personality of Christ. Learn to understand why and how he reacts things. Let, let, let Christ become for you ever more solid, ever more real, as the Bible portrays him to you. Let the Holy Spirit come and help you to really see the real Jesus, and let that be a refreshment to you, as he promises Feed, says Exodus 16 and 17. And slightly more briefly. Pray. See from verse 8 uh, uh, onwards in, uh, uh, in Exodus 17, we, we get these people. The Amalekites who come and threaten them and, uh, well, verse 8, the Amalekites came, attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. Notice there is a twofold response to this threat from the Amalekites. And the first is important. Go out to fight says Moses. The Bible never demeans practical action. It never says 
just, uh, just uh, um, or in all circumstances, just, uh, just sit back and expect God to do, uh, do things. Sometimes that's all you can do. But sometimes, as here, there is stuff to do and the Bible says, go out and do it. Go out and fight, Joshua says Moses. But the second thing is surely the most important thing that is emphasised in this passage. Moses says, I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. I will stand, he's saying, and pray. And it is Moses' prayer which seems absolutely vital. Verse 11, as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. And um, Moses discovers that he can't do it on his own. Frankly, if you try to hold your hands up all day uh, in the air, you will soon realise that the blood uh, drains from them and you can't. Um, And yet, uh, somehow that, that praying stance was absolutely vital and so... He is assisted in his prayers. First lesson clearly from this is that churches, God's people, need praying leaders like Moses. It's easy to be swept along in the busyness of life. It's easy to forget, actually, that those who are set aside um, for full-time work in local churches, the Bible says, are set aside for the ministry of the word, teaching the Bible, and prayer. But also we need, to re- we need to remember alongside that, the Bible says very, very clearly that, that, that our primary leader who prays for us is not a church leader, it's Jesus. Romans 8.34, for instance, speaks of Jesus, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and is also interceding for us. Jesus, who understands what it's like to be human, is now sitting at the right hand of God and speaking somehow into the ear of God the Father. How that works within the Trinity, who knows? But that's what the Bible is, how the Bible describes it. Speaking into the ear of God the Father, interceding for us. We have a great leader like Moses who is constantly, eternally in prayer and we need to rejoice in that but also recognise that there is a secondary sense in which every single one of us needs to be prayers to for one another the Apostle Paul, you know, one of the greatest leaders of the church ever constantly Um, in his letters showed that he felt he needed the prayers of the people he was writing to. To, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 this is even more extraordinary in in 2 Corinthians because when you read about the church in Corinth you realise it was a complete mess but here's what he talks about in chapter 1 verse 11 he talks about them helping us by your prayers or Ephesians chapter 6 verse 19 he says After saying that our our battle is against spiritual forces of evil, he says, pray also for me. We need to be those who pray for one another. The philosopher Blaise Pascal said, um, 
on one occasion that God has given human beings the dignity of causality through prayer. He liked to talk in philosophical terms. He means that actually God chooses to make things happen through prayer. And actually, God chooses to allow, uh, 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 not to make things happen if his people declined to prayer, went for pray. Whenever Moses' hands were down, the Amalekites were winning. Why? How, within the overall plan of God, which is absolutely unstoppable, I do not know. But I do know that your prayers are vital. They are vital for your health and they are vital for the health of God's people and they are vital for the ministry of God's church and they are vital for victories won against Satan by God's church. Do you pray? Do you sometimes think, I'll come here a bit earlier on Sunday morning and I will join Peter and Lisa Vernon who gather every Sunday morning in the room just down there to pray. They'll be there afterwards as well to pray if you want to pray in response to this. Or Thursday, uh, 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 breakfast times. Peter Lieber leads um, uh, a regular prayer meeting on Thursday mornings at breakfast time. On Tuesday, this Tuesday, 7.45, we have our monthly prayer meeting where where we share and discuss and pray. And we specifically uh, encourage multiple opportunities to pray, not necessarily expecting that any um, uh, of the prayer meetings will be enormous, though it would be lovely to, but to give everyone an opportunity that there is one moment when they can go and pray with God's people because we need help like Moses needed help. I do think that that God allows there to be a strong correlation between the victories of his people and their willingness to pray. Do we pray? Or thirdly, think. This is the burden of uh, Exodus chapter 18. The story goes on and uh, Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, joins the people of Israel. And uh, uh, Jethro, the pagan priest of uh, Midian, notices something. Verse 14 of chapter 17. When his father-in-law, Moses' father-in-law, saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand round you from morning till evening? 
Moses answered, because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. And Jethro has a very interesting reply. Verse 18, you and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. And so he advises Moses to divide the people up into small groups, let easy cases be heard by sub-leaders within those small groups, and to only allow the difficult cases, the the most important cases, to rise up and uh, to Moses' attention. Now, there's a whole range of really interesting things about this story in Exodus 17. Notice, for instance, that Jethro learned his wisdom as a pagan priest, as a leader in Midian. And Moses accepts it, and it seems to be wisdom. There is wisdom that can come from the world, even from quite unsavoury parts of the world that God's people need to take seriously. Notice too that, it, that, 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 it, that it's wisdom about how to live life sustainably. About structures and strategies and, and keeping going. Um, many of you will know in the last couple of months really has been my own um, Moses experience in that in that sense but I do feel a bit like a wimp because I'm only just pushing 50 and Moses was 80 at this point and I don't have that many people to lead when Moses had 600,000 so I have to uh, confess to feeling a little bit uh, uh, wimpy but but um, I I really hit a wall I felt uh, uh, a number of weeks ago and uh, we have had to, as, as leaders, just accept that uh, Peter Comont's not as young as he used to be, and the church is growing in complexity. Thank the Lord, we had already been thinking along those lines as leaders. We had already been looking for a, for a personality who complements me, and we looked specifically, as church members will know, um, where the appointment of Dan Steele was as a result of that specifically focused search, actually using some wisdom from the world to try to understand how best to lead the church. And we also have structures within the church, home groups and so on, explicitly so that an enormous amount of pastoral care happens Amongst God's people. The church is not a pyramid with everybody looking to one or two leaders at the top. It is, it is much more of a sort of organic, interwoven set of, uh, of, 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 of groups held together by, uh, by a group of leaders. But most of the work, as here, happens at a much more modest and local level. We, we have done that because we thought as leaders. And we uh, took wisdom and we applied it to our situation. 
think about your life? What will enable you practically to live a long-term sustainable life? Do you have the pieces in place for that? Do you have a group of praying friends who will encourage you and support you? Married people, your spouse is not sufficient to provide those needs. You need others to support you. Do you have a manageable um, rhythm of work and rest? Or does something need to change? If you don't change it, then sooner or later your physiology will break down. You will wear yourself out, says Jethro. Not through lack of spiritual depth, through lack of wisdom. Think wisely about your life. Every single one of you will have trials and difficulties ahead of you such as really you at best only vaguely seen right now. And God has given you the resources to go through those things. He has given you the word of God to feed on and the presence of Christ to refresh you. He has given you the extraordinary dignity of prayer and he's given you wisdom. But will you use it? I I have to say, people roughly fall into two groups as believers, in my experience. There are those who, one way or another, barely avail themselves of any of those three. And the great good news is God is gracious, God is good, God keeps those people, but dearie me, the trials that those people put themselves through. The difficulties, the, the, the dark wilderness periods. And then there are those who set out on that pilgrimage, knowing it's going to be tough, knowing that it's not going to be easy, and they put the pieces in place to keep going. I don't know what you need to do. Perhaps it is to learn those steady disciplines of feeding on God's word. Perhaps it is to learn to pray with God's people and for God's people. Perhaps it is to think and just be sensible. You are One human being with a limited human frame, be wise about your life. Of course, 
the first step of faith, putting our trust in Jesus, is absolutely the central and the vital one that moves you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, says the Bible. But don't minimise every other step of faith you need to make along the way. Your path through the wilderness will depend on it.